Anyways, well, hello. For anybody who doesn't know me, my name is uh, uh, David Drees. Um, my wife and... Thank you. <laughs> that, that, whoop. Uh, my wife and I are members here, and it's been wonderful to be here. And uh, Are we good on seating? Do we need people to squeeze in? Squeeze in? Is that a word? It's like an Ohio word. Sorry. Um, squeezy, squeezy. Um, anyways, we're going to have a good time tonight. I, um, I have a little bit of housekeeping I want to do before we get started, um, but I kind of want to give you a vision for where this night came from. I... Uh, Cody asked me to do Acts 6 and 7, then chapter 8 the next week, and then chapter 9, which will be next week, and um, I was really excited about the first two, and I was really excited about Acts 9, and then I, like, as I read Acts 8, I'm like, what am I going to talk about? Like, where do I go with this? And you'll see what I'm talking about in a second. Um, If you don't know, um, it's pretty awesome. So I was just praying. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do with this passage or this scripture? And finally, I was like, okay, like three nights ago, I was like, Lord, just tell me what you want to say. I, I, you think that'd be the most obvious prayer at the beginning, but it wasn't. I was like, just tell me what you want me to say. And um, I, had a, I, I went to bed, and I had these dreams. I could not tell you what they are, but I just woke up at like four in the morning, and I was like, oh, I'm supposed to talk about the heart. Okay, I get it. And, and that sounds cool, because I don't do that. Like, that, I'm not, like we, when we started coming here three years ago, it's a very charismatic church, and Morgan and I were, like, joking, like, God must have brought us here to, like, force our hands to go up during worship. Like, we are, we are so far from that. Like, I had to stand in the doorway and do that thing where you push out so that I could go like that at times. Like, that's, that's how far, far I was from charismatic. So, for me to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, okay, God just spoke to me. I have a word, and we're going to talk about the heart and how the heart matters and how affections matter. That's huge for me. I was so excited. And then later that morning... I was on a walk, just kind of thinking about life and thinking about what I was going to talk about. And I was pushing Oliver, my son, in the stroller. And I was listening to music on my AirPods, which are a God-given invention. And I'm not kidding you, Jesus Freak by DC Talk came on. And I said, Lord, what have I done to deserve your favor right now? And for those of you who are like, what's a DC Talk? I'm going to tell you this. It's not what, a, it's a who is DC Talk. You need to go on YouTube. You need to watch DC Talk, Jesus Freak. And you're welcome for that. Okay. Um, but anyways, I was like, I just felt so affirmed to what we're going to do. So I'm really excited about where we're going tonight. But before we go any further, I want to give three little housekeeping items that I thought would be really cool. One, our team uh, of, of people here is in Cambodia right now, and they're crushing it, and it's been amazing. And I can't wait. I'm going to have them next week share a little bit so you can get it from their perspective. I don't want to steal anything from them. But I do want to challenge us. Uh, it's tomorrow there, which is weird. I don't know how that works, but it is like 630 in the morning tomorrow, um, and and in about two hours, they're going to go check out a ministry that we would love to partner with called Agape International. And um, when they were down at the beach a few days ago with some other groups with our kids, someone even said, I can't believe they're even letting you in. They don't let groups in. Like this is, we've been trying for years and they won't let us come. And I just happened to email three weeks ago. So God obviously is doing something there, but let me tell you about what Agape does. They rescue women, but they also give safe haven for kids uh, who are in danger in the, in the most sex-trafficked city in the world. It's called Svipok. And they bring them in, and they teach them English, and they give them a place to be after school so they're not just out on the streets. But here's where it gets crazier. Across the street is a gym called the Lord's Gym, where one of the uh, pastors works out with the men that will sell some of the girls and boys later in an attempt to minister to them. And he will bribe them with coffee at night to come over and watch the kids have a kids' club where they sing and they dance and they talk about Jesus. And they'll sit in the back of the room and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. And the whole hope, the whole hope is that they will see them as children and not a commodity anymore. 
And he's had one pimp, I, I don't want to use the word too much, he's had one of those men break down and change his life dramatically and stop doing what he's doing. And so they're going into this place, and it is the darkest of darks. And so you need to pray for their souls and pray for their minds and pray for Jesus to continue this ministry, but also give us a vision. Like, well, are we supposed to be a part of this? What can we do and where can we be in it? So that's happening in like three hours. That's kind of cool. So just tuck that in the back of your mind when you're, you know, at Chili's later today eating and just enjoying that. The second thing is I really want to call this out. Olivia, uh, Holly, I called you Olivia because your daughter's so awesome, but um, the other day, Holly Marsh Instagrammed uh, Philippians 4.13. And I thought this was really cool. Philippians 4.13, uh, for some of you, was what you put on your soccer bag when you're trying to make the soccer team, which you're like, I can do all things. That, that is not what the verse is about whatsoever. And it's an argument for why we need to be contextual. But what Olivia did, and I thought this was so cool, is you gave the context for the purpose of the verse. And so if we're going to be people that speak truth into existence, into our social platforms, which is fine, do that, do that all the time. Give people the context so that the scripture has value and it's not a bumper sticker. But the scripture says, I can, um, do you, you want to say it? Do you know it? I can do, no, that's fine. You read it. You loved it. It's fine. It says, um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But what's cool about the scripture is right before it, Paul's talking about, hey, whether I'm super broke and poor or I'm the wealthiest of wealthies, he's saying it doesn't matter the circumstances because Christ gives me that contentment. And because I'm so content in who Jesus is, it doesn't matter my circumstances. I can do all things. So it's not about making the soccer team or getting the job. It's about us having the contentment in who Jesus is and what he means for us, regardless of life circumstances. So it's so cool that you brought that up. I loved it. I loved it. I thought that's how you speak truth into the universe. I love it. Um, and then the last one, I made a comment last week about how I don't have enough tassels in my Bible for markers. And this sweet man came up to me after church, and he has this little cross thing that had five tassels. He's like, now you have seven. And I was like, awesome. You're the man. So good on you, church. We're killing it. So um, I asked for a face mic because I have to do this, and it's awkward. But we're going to go to Acts chapter 8, if I can find it, with one of my tassels. Okay. So Acts chapter 8 is this crazy chapter, but before we dive into what we're going to talk about today, I just want to highlight the beginning. We're not going to go too deep into it. We'll talk about Paul next week and what happened there, but there's this really cool part in chapter 8, verse 1. Can you throw it up there? So this is right after Stephen was stoned, and I mean massacre, murdered, martyred, and it just got messy because the church was thriving, and all of a sudden it was like, whoa, they just, they just killed Stephen. And, and Paul is running amok at this point, just grabbing Christians out of their home, men and women, and just making a mockery of them in the streets and arresting them and killing them. It's almost like a bloodthirst at this point. And so this is how chapter 8 starts. On that day, the day Stephen died, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, here's what's really cool about this. One, Luke didn't have to reference that the apostles didn't go. And it's not a slight on them. It's like they were, like, too scared to go. What's really neat about this, it says everyone but the apostles was scattered. That's us. That's the lay person. That's, that's the new Christians who have just come to Jesus. They're the ones that got scattered, and they're the ones that went out and started preaching. So the church was blown up all over the world, not by the apostles, and not because they weren't doing great stuff, but because God said, I'm going to scatter all the lay people, the people that know, that know me but aren't the apostles, and you're going to go blow the church up. And so there's this, this like encouragement that it's like, Sometimes I think, oh, who, who am I? I, b- I barely know the Bible. I haven't even read most of it. Uh, who am I? God just said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to scatter you, and you're going to be the ones that do it. And 
the Greek word for scatter, there's two Greek words. Uh, one is the, the way you scatter ashes and the idea of dispersing it. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Um, there's two Greek, word, Greek words for scatter. The first is the way you like scatter someone's ashes, that you disperse them so that they disappear. And then the second is the way you would scatter seeds as a sower. You scatter them to grow. And this is the scatter that was there. God, God used, the Greek word is to scatter the people out so that we might grow as a church and as a body. And so just, I just want to hit that because I think it's so cool. But uh, I got to get into this. So there's two prevailing stories in Acts chapter 8. And the first one is about a guy named Simon. And the second one is about an Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm not going to go too deep into what that is, but you can Google it. Just don't Google image it. Just Google it and you can find out what a eunuch is, but um, what you need to know about this is he's an outsider, very much an outsider. So let me just read a little bit. I I think the next one is chapter, verse four, great. Those who had been scattered, so us, preached the word and whatever they, and wherever they went, Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played, paid close attention to what he said. There were shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there's great joy in the city. So Philip is one of these people, and he heads down to Samaria. And if you do or don't, it doesn't matter, but Samaria isn't a town that was looked highly upon. If you remember, there's a story of the Good Samaritan, and it's a story that Jesus used to shock the people, to say like, hey, there was a man that was hurt, and a priest walked by, and a righteous man walked by, and then this Samaritan walked by, and the people would be like, Samaritans are the worst. And the Samaritan is the one that actually helps. And so Samaria is a place that is not well regarded. And even Jesus used it as as a way to explain, hey, the gospel, the kingdom of God is not just for the privileged elite. It is for everyone. And Samaria is how I'm going to show you that. And so the first place that the gospel gets scattered to, which I think is so cool, is Samaria. And Philip goes down there, and he starts preaching the gospel pretty intensely, and crazy stuff is happening. And here's the coolest part. So there was great joy in that city. If there's something we should take from that is Samaria was a bunch of ragamuffins who nobody looked like, and nobody wanted to be like, and no one wanted to look like, and the gospel was scattered to them, and there was great joy in that city. This gospel is inclusive and wonderful. Okay, so here, we've got to keep going. Can we get the next scripture, I think? No, forget it. Um, I'm going to read. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Acts 8, chapter 9. This is where we get into this guy named Simon. Simon the sorcerer. It's like Harry Potter kind of stuff. Um, now, from time to time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city in Samaria and amazed all the people. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. So there's this guy, Simon, he's a sorcerer, he's doing some dark stuff, some dark magic, and people are blown away because it's crazy. And they're like, wow, this man is clearly powerful. If anything, listen to this word, they describe him, this man is rightly called the great power of God. And so Simon, this sorcerer, is like, I have a great reputation and I am the man. Now here's what happens. Um, they followed him, Simon, because he has amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So here's what happened. Philip comes down, and he messes everything up for Simon. Philip comes down, and he starts preaching the gospel about Jesus, and people start going, that's cool, but what Philip's talking about is amazing. And they start believing, and crazy stuff starts happening, and they start dedicating themselves, and they're getting baptized, and and it's really, really a cool scene. 
And here's what happens. Simon himself believed. So Simon, this, this sorcerer, all of a sudden looks and he's like watching it. And he's like, wow, this is amazing. Who is this Jesus person? And he was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great sights and miracles he saw. So he believes, he then gets baptized, and then he like joins Philip's small group and is like following him around. He's like, what night is life group? When do I bring the chicken? I'm there. No, you need to be in William Reed's life group. That guy can bring good food. So that's where the chicken comes from, to answer your question. Um, What do I have up there next? Okay, so this this great stuff is happening, and people start start coming to Jesus. And then it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon is like, wow. I mean, it was crazy when Philip was here. And then Peter and John show up, and the Holy Spirit comes down. It just gets wild. And so his logical brain, again, I don't want us to ever look at someone in the Bible and be like, what an idiot. How dare they? Why would he do that? Think about this. Simon is a con man. He's a sorcerer who raises himself up to make money and to be powerful. And he sees this, and he goes, oh, my gosh. Guys, how much money can I give you so that you can lay your hands on me and I can have that power? It seems like a natural jump for him, but for us, we're like, oh my gosh, he offered Peter money for the Holy Spirit? (laughs) That's not going to go well. (laughs) And it doesn't. It doesn't go well for him. I don't know where I think, what I think about this, but Peter, you know, Simon's a new believer, and this is Peter's response. I don't think I have it up there, so I'm going to read it. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. (laughs) Another translation says, to hell with you and your money. Like, like, that's, a, that's an impressive response. He was like, Peter, I can't imagine how taken aback they must have been. He says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in the ministry. Listen, because your heart is wicked, because your heart is not right before God, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he might forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive sin. Okay, so we have this guy, Simon. We're going to leave him here for a second. But he believed, he was baptized, he joined Philip's small group, he followed him around, he saw all these amazing things, and in a, in a moment where he acted on the, on the Simon of who he used to be, tries to buy the Holy Spirit, and Peter just rebukes him as like, when I look at you, I see the wickedness and the sin and the bitterness and the selfishness in your heart. Okay. The second story, you're like, this is uplifting. Um, the second thing is this, Philip in the Ethiopian, in verse 26, I know there's a lot of scripture, but i got to get the story out. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandat. I don't know what that means. Uh, Oh, which means queen of the Ethiopians. (laughs) I meant to say I don't know how to pronounce it. I also don't know what it means. Um. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. The Spirit told Philip, listen to this, go to the chariot and stay near it. 
Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? So he said, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So what happens is the Holy Spirit's like, hey, Philip, just go down to Gaza, and there's two roads to get there, and he says, go take the desert road. Which, there's a, every word is important. And so the fact that the Spirit was like, there's two roads, I'd like you to take the desert road. I'd like you to take the road that people probably aren't on, the road that you would not logically go to. I just want you to go it. And Philip's like, okay. And so he just starts walking down this desert road. And then he sees this Ethiopian sitting on the side of the road in his chariot, and, he, and the Spirit says, just go stand near him. Which, can you imagine the scene in, like, our time? If I just was like, I'm just supposed to be here, right? Like, it, it's, it's an amazing thing because he's like, okay, sure, why not, God? And he goes over and he just stands there and he hears the Ethiopian just reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And he goes, do you, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian's like, I, not really, unless someone's here to tell me what it is. And Philip's like, well, that's convenient. I can do that, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if ministry was like that? You're just walking down the street and someone's like, who's Jesus? And you're like, let me tell you. I think Sarah Gilmore actually has an experience like that. Didn't she have that, Nolan? Yeah, she had like an amazing, she was like talking to this girl, and this girl was like, I just want to know who Jesus is. It was a City Creek Mall. And Sarah was like, this doesn't happen. <laughs> so anyways, he tells him, and he's like, okay, let me tell you who Jesus is. And he's reading a passage about Jesus. He's reading a messianic prophecy, which is pointing to what Jesus is going to do on the cross. It's like amazing. And so Philip gets to preach the gospel to him. And what's the last thing I have there? Is that all? No, I have more. I have more. Yeah. What? Uh, forget it. Let's just. I, some they're like send me scripture. I'm like I just I'm just gonna read whatever happens happens. Um. So then Philip began with the very passage of scripture that he was reading and told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip's like I'm just gonna tell you the, the gospel, and he does. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? I mean, it's like the easiest ministry ever. He's like, let me tell you the gospel. He's like, that's cool. He's like, hey, there's some water over there. Can I get baptized? And Philip's like, oh, sure. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch got down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I, listen, I have no idea what that means. I don't know if Philip was like, just like, disappeared. I don't know what it means. But all I know is that the Spirit was very much in control of that situation. But at the end of the day, the Ethiopian gets baptized he says he believes, he hears the gospel, he believes it, he's baptized. And then, he, and then the last line, but went away on his way rejoicing. Okay, and so here's, here's the dichotomy that we have. And this is where I really felt like God was speaking to me the other day. We have Simon the sorcerer who heard, believed, was baptized, followed in a discipleship way. We have the Ethiopian who heard, believed, was baptized, and left rejoicing. Very similar stories, right? One of them gets radically rebuked by Peter. The other gets to leave rejoicing. And you can see, as I was going through this week, I'm like, what am I supposed to talk about? Like, am I supposed to be like, don't try to buy the Holy Spirit. Like, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Don't do that. Done. Let's pray. Like, I'm like, where, where do you want me to go with this? And I felt like I was like, the heart matters. The heart matters. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to argue whether or not... The, 
Simon was actually saved, or he actually, that's, that's neither here nor there. But what I want to talk about is their hearts, and their heart attitude, their heart posture. And it's really hard to talk about the heart because in our culture, we have things like, oh, just listen, just follow your heart. Like, who's that? Has anyone ever told you that? Just follow your heart. You've, has anyone heard this song? Listen to your heart. But it's right. It's a real song. And you're listening on the radio. But here's the problem. Do you know what Jeremiah 17, 9 says? The heart is deceitful above all things, wicked beyond cure. Oh, no. Like, what do we do with that? Follow your heart. I will absolutely will not do that. Thank you for that bad advice. Like, you, how do you engage with that? How do we talk about the heart and the heart mattering? And what, what do we do with that? Because the heart is deceitful above all things, wicked beyond cure. But I think it's really important that we look at this and say, okay, if they both professed and they both believed and they both were following and they were both trying to understand Jesus, then the way our heart's attitude is towards the Lord is preeminently important. And so I want to break it down in two ways. One, what are ways in which we are um, manipulating our heart or we are muting the way which our affections are pointed towards Jesus? And then ultimately, what does it look like to do the opposite, to put ourselves in a position of awe so that our hearts are at worship at all times. And I know that Jeremiah verse is, is great, and I, I don't want to take it out of context because it isn't really important. It is wicked beyond cure. But it also says in Ephesians, or Ezekiel, great, now I have too many ribbons. <laughs> My guessing. Nope, that's Psalms. Um, that's Jeremiah. Got it. Um, it also says in Ezekiel this, ready? This is God talking. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Listen to this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. So we know that at the end of the day, God's saying, hey, what happens is I'm going to take out that nasty, wicked, dirty heart and I'm going to remove it and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh one that can love me, one that is freed up to love me. So, before we go any further, what are the things that kind of get in the way of our heart's affections towards God? Well, let's look at Simon first. What got in the way of Simon's? Well, he he went back to his old way of life. If I could get that power, man, people call me God-like now. Imagine if I can cast out demons, I can make people shriek, or I can do all these things. If I could just have that and enhance myself and make much of myself, man, that would be awesome. And so in that instant, Peter looks at him and goes, whoa, 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 you don't get that. The Holy Spirit is not there to make much of you. The Holy Spirit is there to make much of God. And so we have this problem, and we do this, I do this all the time, is I look at things and I go, man, how can that benefit me? How can that grow me? How can that enhance me? I mean, one of the biggest issues in Genesis 12, they're like, um, the, the people are like, we should build a tower to get to God. And they're like, and we'll make such a name for ourselves. And it's in that moment that God was like, absolutely, you will not. And he, he scatters those people and destroys that plan. Because he's like, you don't get to make much of yourself. That ruins the way your heart's attitude is towards me. Another way that we do this is through idolatry. And, I, and sometimes when I say that, we're like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't worship monkeys in my backyard. Like a, 
Oh, yeah, idols are bad. And this is kind of interesting. If you talk to people that are in Cambodia right now, when you drive through Cambodia, every like 100 feet of these little temple monuments that people burn incense in there, there are little idol factories. And I remember telling Morgan, I'm like, I just would love to take a bat as we drive by and be like, these are worthless, right? But as you think about like, okay, so what does an idol look like for you and I? Well, it's anything that we're just going, maybe it's my career. Like, Lord, I'll give you a lot, but please don't take my career Lord, I'll give you a lot, but don't take my reputation, don't take my fame, don't take my, this is where it gets weird, because I have a lovely son whom I love, I'm like, well, don't, don't take my son, please. You can have everything else. I'll give you 99% of everything else. Do you know the problem with giving God 99% control of your life? Is you're still in control, because you get control what God doesn't get. And that's not how God operates. Now, I'm not saying that if you give it to God, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. That's not, that's not the God of the Bible either. But the idea is, if we become idolaters, if we start taking things and going, I will worship you except don't take this, and we close our fist around it and then we hide it, that's when it becomes idolatry. Don't take my fill in the blank. And, and here's where we have to do some real work with our souls. Is you you got to figure out that what that is. Like, What is it that when your heart is turning away from God, what is it when you are acting like Simon and going, hmm, how can I be out for myself? What is that? For you, because it's different. Like, we have, we have to know. And, and I'll tell you this. Like, I knew for me, one of the things was I'm not open with really anyone. Like, I won't share what's going on in here very often. <clears throat> and it got to a point where my bones actually started to hurt with the things I was holding in. And I finally went to my three buddies, and I said, look, guys, I'm gonna, I want to set up a call every three weeks. I want to have a phone call. And on that phone call, I just want you to do with what it is what you need to do. For me, I'm just going to share. I'm going to share everything that I'm keeping in. And it was so embarrassing and so humbling because they'd be like, what else? And I'd be like, oh, okay, here's some more. Right? But what it did was it allowed me to go, just take it. Like, it, it, Here's the thing. It's, I'm still working through that stuff, and it's still very shameful, and it's still very upsetting to me to deal with it. But we can't allow our hearts to turn from the Lord in a way that diminishes our ability to be in awe of Him. And so when I say it's important what the heart matters is because there's either two ways you go. You either leave rejoicing because you're worshiping, or you either get rebuked, and that's hopefully the best that you get. Like even Peter was like, you need to repent. You need to deal with this. Like luckily he had the ability to walk away and then deal with it. Like, we, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't get that opportunity. So we need to, we need to do work in our souls and find, hey, where, where is my heart getting in the way of being in awe of Jesus? Because that's a problem. I don't, I don't want to go down that road. And, and you are, and that's okay. And that's where grace comes in, because this is where I want to pivot to next, right? We can't allow ourselves to be in a space where we're, like, constantly correcting and constantly going, okay, what do I need to do to take stock? How, what are the attitudes I need to have to be... Uh, you know, good and righteous. That's what religion is. That is, that is legalism. That just draws you even closer and closer to, to death's door. W- what we need to do is then we need to pivot and look at the cross and go, okay, Galatians 5.1. Who knows it? What? It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. That is two for two for Madeline right there. Last week she nailed it. This week she nailed it. Right? Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. So let's not be yoked again by the 
burden of sin. And so the idea here is we, we do, there's a real tension here. We do want to do work with what's going on in our soul. What are the things that you're holding on to? What are the things that are, in, that are inhibiting your ability to worship God freely, to be in awe of who he is? But at the same time, we have to pivot and go, okay, but I am free in Christ. I do have grace. I have the ability to share with my best friends all the things that are deep down in my soul that I'm ashamed of. And they can go, you are forgiven. And just like in John 8 with the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you either. Now go leave your life of sin. That's what we need to do. So, so the whole pivot here is how, how do we become, how do we get in awe of Jesus? Here's the thing. I went up the living room hike yesterday. And, uh, ooh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a great hike. And I probably hiked it like 20 times. But I took some people that were out here at a conference. And they said, we want to go on a hike. And I'm like, let's grab some wine and let's head up to the living room at sunset. And they're like, great. And so we started, we started hiking. And they're like, do you ever get sick of these views? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mostly forget that they exist, right? I forget that I live in a bowl of mountains of majesty, right? But they were like, every time we hit a new vista, they were like, oh, my gosh. Like, just totally in awe. And no one had to say, hey, when we turn this corner, I need you to look up and be amazed, right? That's just, that's a natural, that's a natural inkling of your soul. Your soul is so inclined to be in awe of things. Uh, Oliver, my little son, we, every day, I've told you about this last week, we turn left at the strawberry patch, and we walk to the tracks, and he walks back and across the tracks. And my neighbor Clay is here. He can confirm that he does that, and it is, you know, questionable parenting. But, um, but when he sees the tracks come, we're like, oh, Holly, here comes the tracks. And this is what he started doing now. He goes, wow, wow, wow. And now he's holding it, wow. Like, we, I was like, Murray, we got to get this on video. It's so cute, Right? But no one told him that. No one was like, Oliver, this is a moment where you're supposed to be in awe of a train. He doesn't even know what a train is. You know what I mean? Like, no one teaches us that. Also, no one teaches us sin. Like, no one, I didn't teach, I'm like, Oliver, when you're you're stressed out, just bite my arm. Just bite me. (laughs) No one taught him that either because our heart has the inclination to go one way or the other. That's what I'm saying. We we can't negate Simon the sorcerer and say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus on Jesus and and, and my heart will always be pure. No, we still have to do work with the stuff in our hearts that are struggling, that are sinful, that are dirty. And we need people to walk alongside of us in that. We need to understand the grace of God. But at the same time, we also have to remember to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. It says in Galatians 3, set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. Like, let's keep our eyes up. Let's remember to be in awe. We, um, I'll tell one more story and then I'll, I'll dive into some more stuff. We, my, my wife and I were driving in, in Ohio back where we're from, and there's these just mansions, and we're like, oh my gosh, and Morgan at one point goes, who, who lives there? Like, what does that guy do, or that lady do, that they can live in that house? And I'm like, I don't know, but every time I see a massive house, that's the question, I'm like, what does that guy do, and how do I get that job, right? Because there's just something about it that draws you to it. Now, here, here's the reality. When we first got married, we lived in 400 square feet in an apartment, and then I promise you that no one drove by our apartment and was like, stop, stop, stop. What does that guy do? <laughs> Baby, can you just imagine living in 400 square feet? Look at that. They share their back porch. That's amazing. With someone they don't know, probably. <laughs> like, no, no one is in awe of that because that is not something to behold with wonder. You, you, you worship things because that's how our heart is designed. You worship things that are amazing. And so how do we, because I want to make it practical, how do we pivot our hearts towards the Lord. Well, let's talk about what we talked about last week. You have, to, you have to know the Lord. You have to know the gospel. 
Like, you know what's amazing? We were singing so many songs. You know what's amazing? Is it's like the, the, the cross legitimately stripped away the barrier between us and the Lord. And we have that freedom to walk in that. Like, here's the crazy thing about the cross. You know what the cross did? It exposed us completely. Because God didn't go, I'm going to go to the cross and hopefully everyone has sinned and it's a big deal for them. Like, he was like, I'm going to go to the cross because Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The, the cross has already exposed us. Like, there's nothing to hide from. Like, when I'm, like, talking to my friends about the things that are in my head that I'm struggling with, that I'm disgusted by, that are sinful thoughts and actions and deeds, God's not like, whoa, I did not see that one coming. I can't believe he shared that. No, but the cross is out at you. That's the coolest thing about the cross. And so we got to fix our eyes on that. So to do that, to be in all the cross, you have to know the story. So you have to read the Gospels where it says God did this, and he took his cross, and this is the beating that he took, and, and here's how it works. And you need to read where Paul says in Philippians 3, listen to this, this is, this is a man who knows the God he's worshiping. He says in Philippians 3, verse 7, he says, for whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss, right? I now consider a loss. Whatever's my profit, I now consider a loss compared to the surpassing joy of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish. The Greek word there, I'm not trying to be goofy, is dung. Like I consider them that, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from the doing the right things, that comes from knowing the, the right ways to say things, that comes from knowing the, the religious dance, not from a righteousness that comes from law, but that which comes through Christ. Like Paul has this yearning in his soul. He goes, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his suffering. And somehow, I want to attain the resurrection of the dead. I, I want to know the pain that he felt so badly so I can attain to that resurrection. Like this, his heart is longing. He then goes on to say something that I think is so amazingly radical. He says, um, I want to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already taken hold of me. Here's what he says. I want to chase the guy who's already caught me. Like, I want, oh, I want that so badly. Like, there's a Christian uh, coffee mug that you, you or your parents may own. It says, like, as the deer pants for the water. And there's, like, a little door, like, deer, like, you know? So my soul longs for you. Do you know what that verse is about? It's like there's a deer and it's dying because it doesn't mean water. And that's how badly it wants water. That's how badly my soul wants you. That's, that's David being like, oh, the way that a dying deer is like, God, somebody give me some water. That's David's soul going, oh, I just want you so badly. I don't care about anything else. So that's, that's, that's how we fix our eyes on Jesus. You know the scriptures, you read the scriptures. I want to be just like Psalm 1 I read last week. I want to be a, stream, or a tree planted by streams of water. But yield my fruit in season. My leaf does not wither. Whatever it does, it prospers. Like, oh, that's what I want so badly. Oh. I'll give you this example. When I referenced it in December. So if you were here, if you were one of the nine people that were here December 29th, I know you guys were. There were like five people here. I was like, I'm sorry we even had church. Um, there's a, in, in Revelations chapter 2, there's the church of Ephesus. And there's nowhere else in the Bible, and I think it's really cool, where you get to see the beginning of the Ephesus church, you get to see the growth of it, and you get to see the demise of it. Like there, there is no church of Ephesus. So we, we know that it, it's demised. But God says, I'm going to read it because I don't want to butcher God's word. This is so neat. 
Sorry, I, this is off. God just is doing what he wants, so we're just going to go there. Um, Revelations chapter 2. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. Okay, you ready for this? I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Man, if God walked in here and was like just telling everybody, hey, I know your good deeds. You have persevered. You have not grown weary. I mean, who has persevered, but at the end of it was like, I just barely made it out alive. If I'm being honest, that, that's me. Like, I'm like, oh, you persevered. I'm like, yeah, but I'm like dead. Like, he's like, you persevered and you came out on top. Like, you did not grow weary. And you, I know your good deeds. And here's the best way. He's like, you've had false teachers and they came in and you're like, that's not the gospel. Get out of here. Like, they know scripture so well. They know the law so well. Like, that's garbage. Get out of here. He's like, oh, you have such great theology, such great doctrine. You have such great deeds and you've persevered. And that is awesome. But here's what God says after that. You ready? You ever have a conversation when someone's like, oh, you just did a great job. You were so good at that. But. And you're like, okay, this is, you did that sandwich technique where you put the good stuff. Like, I'm going to, yet. God's nicer. He doesn't say but. He says, yet. Yet. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He's like, you did all those things great, but you forgot me. Like, you, you, knew, you knew doctrine so well, you crushed it. You had so many scriptures memorized. You were amazing. You have such a great theology. Oh, you did so many good deeds. Oh, you worked your butt off. You were the best husband, neighbor, dad. Oh, you crushed it, but you forgot me. You took your eyes off me and said, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I play the church dance, I am good. And he says, no, no you're not, because you forgot me. So everything is rubbish. Everything is garbage. Like, if I'm being honest, that, that's terrifying, because I've done a lot of things to be a good person and to do good things, and, and I'm like, I don't know if I was even thinking about it. Lord, I don't know if that was even my motivation. What do I do with that? And this is what Jesus, this is what God says to him. He says, you forgot me. Now repent and do the things you did at first. Now here, I want to make a really clear point. He's not saying do the things you did. Like there was, there were, you were doing good deeds. Go back to those good deeds. What he's saying is, like at the beginning of a relationship with your significant other or your wife, like when you were wooing them and romancing them and you were delighted in them, He's like, go back to that. I never changed my perspective. I've always been delighting in you. He doesn't say, we'll go back and we'll change things. He says, you go back and you, you, you be the person you were when we first met. Do you know what David said? He said, return to me the joy of my salvation. David is struggling. He goes, just take me back to the day when I first met you and I couldn't believe that this was happening. It was so great. And he's saying, do this. Go back to that person. Be the person that is in awe of me. Or I'm going to take away your lampstand, which translation means I'm going to wipe you. I'm going to be done with you. I'm going to still be God. I'm going to still do my stuff, but I'm just going to be done with you. Because I don't need a lot of good soldiers out there. I don't need a lot of people who uh, come in here and are like, yes! And then they go out there and they do whatever the heck they want. I, we don't need that. I don't need that. And I do that. That's what scares me. I do that. And that's what scares me. And I know you do. That's why I said this is a two-parter. One, you have to do work with what's going on in your soul. And if you can't do that work or you can't see that work, then you need to ask someone else to do that work. And that's not easy because every time Morgan points out something that is not great, I don't handle it well. The other day she goes, I don't see any humility in you. And I mean, it was like, oh, you're right. No, I was like, are you kidding me? What is not humble about this? <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's like literally the words that came out of my mouth. 
And it took me hours before I was like, oh, that was wrong, right? You got to do work with your soul. You got to figure out where your heart is just fixated on and not Jesus. And if you can't do it, someone else has to help you. And that's the whole point of the church so that we can get to a place where we are in awe, where we are focused, where we are, we are all these things and we didn't forget who you were. Because he's not demonizing those things. I love those things, but don't forget me in the process. So I'm going to wrap it up. Let's bring it back to Simon and the Ethiopian. They both heard, they both believed, they both were baptized, they both were walking. One leaves rejoicing because he is just so fixated on the glory of what he's experiencing. The other leaves rebuked because he turns it to himself. We got to figure that out. We got to live in that tension. But here, I want you to hear this. Two scriptures. One, I know Maddie knows this. Madeline knows this. It's Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation. So you can't leave here being like, oh, I stink. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He frees us up. Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom's sake that Christ is that he frees you up to go, I screwed up, and turn your face right back to him. Oh, so beautiful. It's so wonderful. I'm so thankful for that. So let's be people that pursue that. Because things got real messy here. I mean, the church got scattered. People got persecuted. People were dying. I mean, it got really, really messy. It'd be really easy to be like, you know what, forget this. Or I'm going to do what's best for me. I'm going to do me. I'm gonna do, I'll do the church thing, but only to the point that it doesn't affect me or hurt me. Things got really messy, and they pressed in, a lot of them. And a lot of them died. I'll just be honest with you. 11 of the 12 apostles die. The only one is John. Everyone's like, why does John get to live? And Jesus is like, don't worry about John. John's like, yeah, don't worry about me. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite scripture. He's like, don't worry about John. I'm like, John's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the reality is that they get crushed. But they, they press in and they focus on Jesus. They don't shy away and squeeze hold of everything they can to make sure that they die in a really nice way and they're really happy. They pursue Christ to whatever means that is. So let's be, let's be people that do that. Like here, I'm not going to ask, raise your hands. Who, who went and read something in the Bible they never read before last week? It's okay if you didn't. There's forgiveness, but go do it. Let's be people that press in. Because it says in James, I'll end with this. It says in James, let's not be people that look in the mirror and the second we turn away, forget what we look like. Like that, that is a ridiculous thought, right? Don't be people that show up here or at Life Group or whatever, and you're like, oh, so good. Praise the Lord. And then just literally forget that and be whatever you want to be when you walk out of here. That's dangerous. That's, that's the church of Ephesus. Let's not be that. We're going to transition to a time of ministry time. So what, what's going to happen is they're going to play another song. We're going to worship. It's going to be amazing. But if you're sitting there going, I've got to do business with my soul, there are people up here that long to pray with you and for you. And so come on up. Come on up. If you just want to come up and just be like, hey, just talk to me about Jesus. They'll talk to you about Jesus. Share amazing things about Jesus. They'll do that. It's amazing. So enter in. Be people that press in, not that sit down. And, and, be, and if you're like, I don't want to go there, that's okay. Don't do it. Whatever. You do you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get going. God, thank you so much that you are, um, you are someone that we can worship, that you are someone that when we look to, we don't have to be told to be in awe, that when we look at you, we are in awe. Pray that you would help us with where in the Bible to find that. Pray that you would help us with where in our hearts that you would find that, that thank God you changed our hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. So fix our eyes on you, fix our minds on you, that we would set our hearts on things that are above. So God, please just do work in our souls right now. Amen.